0: Hello, you're listening to the Brainy Speech Therapist Podcast. We're your hosts, Helen McLean and Jan McIntosh-Brown. Here, we aim to look at all aspects of brain injury, from the research to the rehabilitation, and always through the lens of speech and language therapy. Hi
1: everyone, this is Jan. Hi, this is Helen. Welcome to this episode of the Brainy Speech Therapist podcast.
0: This is a really special episode as our guest is Anne, whose husband Dennis experienced a brain injury a few years ago. We are really grateful to Anne for giving up some of her time to speak to us.
1: Yes, it was a real privilege to speak with Anne about her experience. We do hope you enjoy it as much as we did.
0: The content of the episode doesn't need too much explanation although we will comment that you'll hear a few references to Anne and Dennis's children. But we made the decision not to speak too much about their experience as we wanted to focus on Anne. And it felt like it wouldn't have been fair to speak about the children's experience without them being directly involved in the conversation.
1: So we hope future episodes could involve conversations with other family members, siblings or parents, for example. We'll be back at the end of the episode with a couple of reflections, but for now, here is Helen and I talking with Anne. The opinions and views expressed in this podcast are of the individual and should not be considered professional advice. If you have a brain injury, suspect you have a brain injury, or think someone you know has a brain injury, please seek dedicated professional advice.
0: Uh, so welcome Anne thank you for joining us and being willing to share your story with us um, here on the Brainy Speech Therapist podcast we want to hear about how this journey has been for you as someone whose spouse has had a brain injury Um, I wonder if you could perhaps give us some context perhaps tell us about what happened to your husband Um, yeah uh, thanks
2: for having me on Um, yeah so Dennis uh, works with the RMT Rail Union and he quite often would uh, be away for a few nights down in London, say up in Aberdeen etc so it's quite uh, common for him to be away and so 2016 uh, I think it was about 10-11 days before Christmas he was just away on a normal sort of two uh, two nights away kind of thing and he would often keep in touch couple of times during the day uh, then before he went to bed and then again he would he would phone in the morning to speak to me and the kids just before we we went to work and school kind of thing so I had spoken to him the night before everything fine and then the next morning I just thought A strange Dennis hasn't phoned so got to about eight o'clock ten past eight he would normally have called by then so I phoned him and there was no answer um but I was I was busy getting myself and the kids out. So I just thought, oh, he's his phone's on silent or he's he slept in or something. Um but I kept trying uh, maybe another three or four times. Then I was starting to get slightly anxious and then like a bit annoyed, like, well, answer the phone, I'm, I'm starting work soon and I want to, you know, check it he's okay. So just before I, I got to work, I thought I'll quickly phone him again. And a doctor answered the phone um, that, I mean, literally took my breath away and just explained that uh, she hadn't seen Dennis, but he was in hospital and she only knows a small part of the story, that he was in the bar in the hotel and fell and hit his head and that he was not responsive, um, so was taken to St Mary's uh, Hospital and he was currently undergoing surgery basically um so I I mean I, I literally took my breath away I was just sitting in the car listening to this this doctor tell me this so she was like are you all right she was lovely she was like are you all right and I was like I just didn't know what to say and um so she basically said this is the name and address of the hospital um and I'm going to give your number to the surgeon who's currently operating on him and he will call you back. And then it was just left at that. So then I was sat in the car, like, well, I didn't know what to do. So I phoned my work and, and explained to them. And then I went to my mum's house, uh, just in a bit of a, a blur. Um, just, you know, and all I could, I could, I didn't have much information. Literally, all I knew was. He'd fallen and hit, hit his head, and he was in. A, he was currently in surgery, having brain surgery, and and then we had to just wait on the phone call. Um. Hmm. So that that's kind of how it started. Uh Eventually, the surgeon phoned me back. I think a few hours later, and and you know that way you don't know whether what they're going to say at the end of the phone. So, and he was just sort of, uh, you know, a typical surgeon. Yep. Yep yep, got him, yeah, he was in, he had a brain haemorrhage, got a large clot out and so he's in recovery uh, but but he's only seen, a, you know, he's just dealing with the surgery part, he doesn't really care about the backstory or the fact that I'm 500 miles away or that sort of thing, so he just said, um, you know you should get here, whereabouts are you and I was like, I'm in Scotland <laughs>
0: so he was like, oh, you,
2: you, need, you need to get here so then just, you know, my family all rallied around and I, I didn't know what to do. I think, I think I just sort of went into shock and um, I had phoned Dennis's work uh, and got in contact with his boss who arranged for Because we couldn't, I don't know what had happened. For some reason, we couldn't get a flight. All the flights were booked. um There was some kind of reason for that. I can't remember, but we couldn't get a flight. So we ended up getting the train down. My brother came with me. um got the train down to London so I think it was about 11 o'clock now and I was on a train to London just sort of sitting there staring into space didn't, couldn't believe what what was happening uh, and yeah just trying to sort of, it was quite upsetting because obviously uh, I had, the kids had gone to school, they, they didn't even know anything about this and I was quite wary of the fact that they were going to come back from school and their mum and dad wasn't there, sort of thing. Uh, but, I mean, I've got a great family. I've got a, a lot of brothers and sisters, my mum and everything. They were like, don't worry about it. Uh, we'll, we'll sort out the kids. So, yeah. So, the the surgeon had then passed on my phone number to <laughs> the intensive care unit that he, he got in. And uh, they had kept trying to phone me while I was on the train. Um down to London but I don't know if you've ever got the train down to London there's certain bits that you go through sort of through the lake district and stuff like that where your phone just doesn't get a good reception so the hospital did phone a few times and they were like "Eh, can I speak to Anne and this is St Mary's and then it would cut off (laughs) and I was just like I actually was just like oh my god this is unbelievable I, I couldn't do anything i just didn't know what they were phoning for and you start to think the worst but um anyway we got down there and he's in intensive care just looking as as hellish as intensive care is um so i quite quite traumatic
0: um but yeah sort of how long was he in the hospital in London for? Uh, well, he was
2: in. He went to a few hospitals in London. He was in Saint Mary's in Paddington uh, for I think about sort of eight nine days, and then he was transferred to Charing Cross Hospital, uh, sort of out in the west west end of London. Um, and so, but in between times, I had to. Uh, I had to come back to Scotland because it was just before Christmas. Uh, yeah. he, had, he had come out of intensive care then and had just gone into high dependency, so uh, it was a difficult decision, you know, to come back home to see the kids. But I had, I had to sort of think, look, I think, you know, I think he's going to be okay. Hopefully, he's stable now, and I just need to get back for the kids. Um, so he was on his own in London, which was, was quite stressful as well for about. So, sort of between the 22nd and the, the 27th uh, well, I came back up for Christmas time uh, to be with the kids. Um. But I, so all in all, I think about a month down in London uh, before we get back up to Scotland. So it was a a long time.
1: So, so Anne, I can hear that you obviously had a... <laughs> A significant amount going on, you know, having to leave your kids, go to go down to London. I mean, your your brain must have been absolutely spinning, it's, and you you probably had so many doctors talking mm-hmm. with you. Do you feel like you were given information about Dennis's injury in a way that you could understand? Uh, I, not not really at the beginning in intensive care because. Um,
2: I think their their main purpose is just to keep them alive. So there was there was so many different uh, people coming in and out. Um, So like uh, the surgeon would come in and ask a few questions and do a few things and then leave. And then the the physio would come in and just do chest physio and leave. And it was hard. I mean, they're obviously extremely busy as well. It was hard to pin someone down. And then I learned that they're very, very, very skilled at giving sort of these sort of politician answers where. When I was asking them a direct question, they were just like. In fact, one one doctor actually said to me, "Don't ask that question because no one's going to be able to answer that." Uh, you know, the first the first few days, I I did sort of just ask them, "Look, is is he going to live? Is he going to survive?" And and she just said, "He, we can't we can't answer that. Um, we just literally need to take it twelve hours at a time and, and see how he is." So.
0: Um, how did that sit with you to get that kind of response? So, I mean, some of them had more of a kind
2: of a bed, better bedside manner than others. But then I didn't, I wasn't angry because I, I knew how busy they were. I could, I could literally see that they were running from one patient to the next terribly ill patient. Um, and I didn't feel like I wanted any better treatment than anybody else. Uh, everyone in that, everyone in any, any ICU is desperately, desperately ill. And I, I knew they were doing their best. and I mean, they did, they did. they did an amazing job. But it, I don't think it was until, I don't know, maybe a week or so later when you finally got a wee bit of time and you had a nurse who had a wee bit of time and and they would say something and you'd be like, ah, right, no, no one's ever explained that to me and that kind of thing. Uh, it, it was... It was very difficult and I think because of that type of injury and then he had um he had chest sepsis and his blood pressure was really high and there was loads of things going on and I think everyone was just working really hard to get that stable that, that they didn't have much time for anything else if you know what I mean. Uh, and
1: and was there anybody sort of there to support you at you know because you were also away from your home and your family um i I think it was probably my friend well my, my
2: brother came down with me and then dennis's daughter i've got a stepdaughter era she flew over from she was studying in poland at the time so they were actually with me for the first say five days or so so we kept each other going we were kind of a wee a wee team kind of thing uh and my family back home were great just making sure that you know the kids were dealt with, and you know there the was obviously loads and loads and loads of people texting and stuff like that. Uh, and just like that, the hospital was so busy that the hospital staff they, they don't have time to sit. I mean, occasionally someone would did say, you know, Are you all right, Are you making sure you're sleeping okay and, and stuff like that. But they're just so busy that I, I, no, they didn't they didn't have time. And I and I wasn't you know. I wasn't really seeking that help, like you know, everyone was so focused on just getting Dennis well, if you like. If you like, um, but I, I had loads of support mm-hmm. from my family and friends, uh, and then my brother Robert and and Era as well. So I was all I was all right then. It, it wasn't it wasn't that wasn't the priority. I don't I don't feel.
1: So how long was it before Dennis started to sort of come to? You? Um, So I
2: got back down to London. I went down myself this time on the 27th, and so I hadn't seen him for five days. Um, I had been phoning down to the hospital loads over those five days, but oh, getting somebody to answer a phone was one thing, and then uh, so I I really didn't know what I was going to see when I got down there. But I have to say, I was I was really uh, pleasantly surprised. He before I left. I wasn't convinced that he recognised me, um, although he did say my name occasionally but not in context, I don't think he, I wasn't convinced he recognised me, however, when I went back down, he was on, in a high dependency ward now and when I, when I walked in, he turned round and he recognised me straight away and his face just really lit up, like he totally recognised me and it, it was almost like he was saying, like his face was saying, oh my god, like where have you been and... Uh, thank God you're here, kind of thing. So that was really pleasantly surprised Surprising, he was. There wasn't as many tube. He still had an NG tube in, and a catheter, but and he had this sort of big boxing gloves on because he was he was quite agitated and was trying to pull at everything. But um I saw a big big improvement, even though he was still really really ill and he was in high dependency. I saw I saw a big improvement, so I was I was I was happy at that. Um, he's he he wasn't he wasn't eaten then. Uh, I don't think no, he was still on the NG. Um, and his communication was just one word, one word sort of stuff. He it was it was quite difficult to understand uh, what he wanted, and he got very frustrated very easily. But he looked from the five days previous thinking that he was on a ventilator etc and now he was sort of sitting up I was quite happy that he was he was sitting up and getting agitated and it showed you that you
1: know least he was awake sort of thing do you know what I mean Mm. and I know um that you have some experience of working with speech and language therapists so did you feel that there were things that you could do to help him with his communication and yeah so so I knew
2: to um just stay calm sort of thing and not there's no point in me getting frustrated and angry that he wasn't able to say what he wanted and stuff like that so yeah I just remained calm and uh, and and you kind of you get to know what what he you eventually get to know what he wants without him being able to speak so you know if he if he was going side to side and sort of touching his lips and, and his lips were dry and and just sort of he kept sort of motioning towards the sink and I just thought I think I said do you want something to drink are you thirsty um but then he still wasn't able to, uh, to eat or drink anything he was still ill by mouth so it was just kind of trying to manage that and distract him I, I felt like I was in with him most of the time um, so it was just Kane staying calm and, and constantly distracting him when he was getting agitated about something. Um, but yeah, I. Can, can I
1: say that I that sounds like it would have been quite exhausting for you?
2: I it was. But when I first got there. Uh, was a sort of healthcare support worker and that had been her job. I think she had, she was sort of seven hours into that shift. So she was delighted when I appeared because she was like, oh I can go now. Um, it was exhausting but it was something that it was it was fine to do. I mean I was I was just delighted how well he looked as well. And um, and I de- and you know people did just to say to me, you know, are you all right? Are you sleeping all right? And actually I, I definitely slept 100 percent uh, because I think, like that, things were so intense uh, in the hospital that once you did get back to the hotel and you got into a bed, you just absolutely conked out. Uh, so, I it was
0: intense, but it was it was fine. Fine. I know, as as Jan mentioned, and as you've mentioned, you know you're kind of familiar with speech and language therapy, and you're great advocate for it um could you say a little bit about the sorts of things that speech language therapy worked on with dennis i suppose maybe mentioning you know if there's something that they worked on when he was still in hospital and then maybe a little bit about when he got home mm-hmm. um and, and how did that kind of impact on on him and on and on the kind of yourself and the family yeah
2: so uh, in the hospital annoyingly i saw every health professional apart from a speech therapist although he did see a speech therapist in the hospital um, they just seemed to always come uh, first, I think I think the visiting then in that hospital was I think it was 12 till 8 or something but they always seemed to come in the morning and I missed them uh, so just from the bed the chart above his bed I knew that he was on a textured D diet and thickened fluids so I was texting um the therapist that I know up in Monkland Hospital, and I was saying, right, he's on a texture D and blah blah blah, and what sort of stuff, you know, and they've just left this stuff at the side of the bed. And I was asking them how I should eh, make his fluids up because he was he was really quite thirsty. Um, I should mention that at the time down in London, it was eh, a lot some of it was the week between Christmas and New Year. And there was a lot of bank holidays in and about it. So there was always a kind of skeleton staff on. So I, there wasn't a lot of staff about that I could ask. And the ones that were there seemed really, really busy and I didn't feel comfortable bothering them. So I was I was texting the therapists that, that I knew back home, asking for their advice. Um, so he, he eventually uh, they weren't working on them for communication uh, issues in London, I don't think that happened until we got back up to until he worked with Lynn um, so he, he still had an NGN, he, he'd failed his swallow like about 10 times or something and that really I, I, I fixated on that and that really upset me so he, when he eventually got on to a diet, that was brilliant but he didn't like it Um, he had the NGN and a few times I caught him eh, Talking to the guy across the uh, in the room from him, and one day I came in and he was eating. Uh, he was sharing a bag of pistachio nuts with a guy, uh, with this guy, when he was meant to be in a texture D diet.
0: So and, I, and I'm just, I'll interject here <laughs> to say that a texture D diet uh, is more kind of um, things like a kind of rice pudding kind of consistency yeah. things that are yeah. mashed down. Certainly not pistachio. nuts no, to say. Pistach- I couldn't believe
2: I couldn't believe what he was eating, and I. Oh. <laughs> So I was like, he's like, I don't like, so he he didn't like the meals, um, but I knew just from experience of working uh, in the hospital here at Monklands that they like you to have a good few days, they like to have seen you a good few days, eating a normal diet before they'll take the NG tube out. Um, He had a bridled NG in that was really, really agitating him, and I kept saying, when can you get that out, when can they get out? And they were like, you need to eat your dinner, uh, Dennis. But he, he wouldn't eat it. Um, so what I did for a few days, whether this is right or wrong, um, when no one was looking, I ate his dinner. And then when they came in, I was like, yep, yep, he's eating it all. Uh, he really enjoyed it, didn't he, Dennis? And he was like, yes, yes, that." that uh, is a new. So after a few days, they eventually took it out. Because he was, he was, like I say, he was eating pistachio nuts. I was giving him a sort of soft chocolate and stuff like that to eat. He seemed to be eating that fine. And again, I was kind of taking advice from the, the speech therapist back home. Um, and I just... He was getting so frustrated and agitated with the NG that um, I thought, I'm going to have to be a wee bit underhand here. And I'm going, So I had to eat the, these meals for a few days. Because uh, I thought, I don't want to get caught like by scooping them in the bin or anything. <laughs> so I was quite underhand. And I had to eat them myself so that his NG would come out. And... Uh-
1: can I ask, how did you enjoy the textured? Um, it
2: tasted fine. Um, obviously, being the same consistency, but after a while, I was like, "Oh, this is a bit." Uh, but it was, it was, fine. <laughs> it
0: was can, fine. Can I say, like, I think, do you know? I know we're kind of, I am kind of smiling as you're telling that story, and a uh-huh. but, but I think that actually says a lot about how, like, how speech therapy uh, and about how what we're striving for in terms of patient person-centered care I have to say that it feels like that's kind of fallen down a little bit there you know to put it, to put it mildly I feel I feel bad for you that that's how you had to feel you know, you were kind of um, felt pressured almost into that. That's the only way forward with that. And I realise that there's a, a, few things that were going on there around kind of the time of year and the amount of staffing. And uh-huh. um, but you know, I think that's. Um, I'm not sure everyone could have coped with that. And I think that's a testament to you and <laughs> around your kind of ingenuity to think <laughs> through that. And I, and I have to say, I laugh at the thought of Dennis kind of sitting there nodding, going along with it. I think that that um that's quite amusing. <laughs>
2: Yeah,
0: <laughs> um, and so a bit further on, he did see speech and language therapy for his communication. Yeah, so um, further on, I-, I could see that he was getting
2: better. Just w- even without speech therapy, he was. So at the very start, he he would like his first his first words when he came uh, when he got the ventilator out was just like in hell." When he was like swearing a lot, he could only say one word. Uh, or two words maybe for a good three or four or five days then he would um, be able to get a sentence together but forget what he was talking about halfway through it then sometimes he he would just be talking no sense at all Uh, and then in the next minute he would talk total sense so it was it was but I thought at least he's at least he's speaking um so then, he then he was by the time he got back home up to up to Coatbridge, he was probably able to hold a pretty decent enough conversation. Um, but obviously, he, he was. Um, I, I was just looking back at some paperwork. Actually, uh, his discharge uh, his discharge report from the hospital stated that he presents with a significant cognitive cognitive communication disorder Uh, he remains not orientated to place or date, he's unable to name objects or pictures he does not follow instructions on repeat Um, an assessment of language has been difficult as the patient remains in PTA Uh, so like he had a few visitors that came in when we were back up home and he could have a decent enough conversation like, you know, how are you doing yeah, and you know, you could get that but you know, when you really looked into it, he did have these uh, difficulties that I don't know. At the time, I just thought, is, that, is this as good as he'll get? Um, and even then, when he was when he was back home in the first week or so, I was I was thinking he's he'll definitely not get back to work. There's there's I just did I couldn't see that. However, when when Lynn came in for our first um, our first session with Dennis, uh, I sat in and she explained a lot of things that were just like so eye-opening to me that it was that I, I don't know I just didn't I hadn't really thought of it maybe just because everything was so hectic but she just you know it, you know it's a time to sort of sit down and relax and just say right this is where things are and and one thing in particular that Lynn said was um, um
1: sorry Anne. and mm-hmm. I just interject there? So, um Lynn is, was your yeah. speech therapist. Um,
2: Lynn Grayson. Yeah, okay. uh, she, so she. So the one thing in particular that she said that really sort of opened my eyes was, you need to remember that you know it was only about three or four weeks ago that that you had a massive brain injury, um, and sort of half your skull was taken off and put back on. So your brain is still very swollen. So this is why you're having these difficulties. But as the swelling reduces. Um, things things should get better eh, and we'll work on them and stuff like that so I was within, within a few weeks um, sort of and used her expertise to, to work on you know what was these interests and it was it was music etc and, and stuff like that and the, we had uh, an iPad to work on so I can remember the first sort of few times I would sit with him and I said, "Right, come on, we'll need to do sort of twenty minutes a day on the iPad." And it was, it was a sort of like a picture of an animal and stuff like that. You, you guys will know. And and it was, you know, you had to see what it was. Uh, so you could say it was a cat, but then you had to put the letters in. So the missing letter, even so, it'd be C space T. Almost like kind of primary one work. Uh, and and he could he, he he struggled with that quite a bit but obviously as, as the days and the weeks went on he was he was getting it and he was getting frustrated the first few few times because he was like oh I can't believe i, I don't even know that, that that how to spell like a simple word a three, a three or four letter word but it was constantly having to remind them uh, and and you know Lynn would have as well obviously that you know a few weeks ago you couldn't do this but now i can remember he got he, he was able to spell elephant a few weeks later which she couldn't have, uh, no, you couldn't have told me that was going to happen. I'd have just been like, "Nah." But I uh, it just goes to show how, as Lynn said, this the swelling was going down, and he was he was getting things. So so it was great. And so, how long before Dennis came home? Uh, he was in he was only in Monklands, I think, <sighs> two or three days. He kicked up such a big stink, he really wanted home. And then, it, so he eventually got home. So, all in all, he'd been away from home and in hospitals for about a month. When he got home, I think his, his recovery really, really kicked on. He didn't like being in hospital at all, he really didn't like it. Um, and he really did, his he, therapy, he, he, he just came on leaps and bounds, I think, obviously being in the more familiar environment and he's more relaxed and and stuff like that so Mm
1: -hmm. and so what sort of changes did you and the kids have to make I mean did you have to take time off work and
2: yes um I I think all in all I I was off work about 10 weeks or so um it wasn't until I was quite confident that he would he was going to be Okay on his own I was quite neurotic I didn't even Like So the first two weeks When he was back home I didn't even like Leaving the room To go and make a cup of tea I just Didn't want to take My eyes off him Kind of thing uh, Obviously over time That That got better And I was able to uh, nip, nip out to the shops quickly But even then I was <laughs> I was quite neurotic again like, oh, like I was Wanting to get back Really quickly Just to make sure He was okay But that was maybe just me being a bit over eh, anxious about things, but um, no, as time went on, again that 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 got better.
1: So it sounds like in those early days there was a bit of a change in your role and the dynamics within the family. So you know you you needed to step into more mm-hmm. of a carer sort of support person role. Would that be so yeah, accurate? I th- yeah, definitely. Um,
2: and just obviously he came ho- he came home from hospital on a a huge amount of medication. Um, I had never seen so many pills in my life. I I don't really, I don't take any medication myself. So, and he wasn't able to work out what he had to take, when he had to take it, and when he should take it, sort of thing. So, just even doing things like that. Um. Yeah, and just make i mean, it's—it's it's a role that just came naturally. I was—I was totally comfortable with it. It, it was difficult, but it, it needed done. And I'm a hundred percent sure that Dennis would have done the same for me. But um, thinking back on it, it, it was obviously quite a stressful time and stuff like that. But I think when you've got something, something stressful to do, and, and something you know bad happens, you just really focus on one thing at a time and what's in front of you and and as I say when you've got a lot of support uh, it's fine you manage it it's it's all right
1: and a lot of people that are going through that sort of experience and also report feelings of grief of you know the loss of Mm -hmm. that partner or person in the family is that something that you you experience? I don't think
2: so Uh... I think because things were were sort of so manic and, and hectic and stressful, I, I don't think I had time to think about that. Um, I, know, I, th- I think when Dennis first came round from the coma, uh, and I know that a, a few doctors had sort of sat me down and said, you know, we, we think he'll recover medically. However, the extent of his brain injury is that you'll you, you likely not see the Dennis that you had before. Um, one of the consultants had explained that to me, and I was just like, "Right, I that, said that. I thought that's fine. I'm just totally happy that he's still alive, kind of thing." However, there was quite a few things that would happen, and I just thought, "No, that's definitely Dennis's personality." Um, although he had changed, uh, he was still really, really ill, so obviously he'd changed. But there were certain things that he did, and certain things that he said that was um, just totally Dennis, and I just thought, "No." I, he, <laughs> his personality is definitely still in there. There was certain behavioural things, um, like he would do. You know, he would be quite grumpy and in a bad mood and agitated. Uh, the first maybe six eight weeks, but again, as time went on, that that lifted, and we just we just managed that. Um,
1: I have heard families talk about, you know, those behaviors that kind of help them see the person that's inside, Mm -hmm, you know? mm -hmm. So I think it's quite a familiar story of, Oh, he does that. Oh, he used to do that before. Oh yeah. That's something that he always does, you know? And I think that does help build that, that, you know, that relationship that everything's going to be okay. Yeah,
2: definitely. Um, there was quite a few different sort of wee funny things that when his communication wasn't great and he was only getting a few words out. Um, so it was maybe the 1st or 2nd of January and I had the newspaper sitting with Dennis and I, and I was flicking through it and I, and I was saying to him, who's, who's that? And, and it was I think it was Andy Murray. So he'd just been knighted. And he knows who Andy Murray is. But he wasn't able to tell me who who that was. He, he couldn't he couldn't get his name out. Um, and then I, f- I flicked the page, and I would say, "Who's that?" So so George Michael had just died, and uh, he wasn't really able to tell me who George Michael was. And I was like, "Oh, so I was feeling a wee bit down." I was like, "Oh, he doesn't recognise really famous people." But then I flicked to the next page, and it was the royal family and anyone that knows Dennis who's a bit of a socialist sort of union guy, he's not a fan of the royals and uh, that sparked him right into life and a few expletives came out and, and I was just like, yep that's Dennis, that's good so from feeling a wee bit down like he doesn't recognise a few faces to you no, know, all's well he, he, he still hates the royals so
0: <laughs> I was I
2: was happy at that
0: <laughs> it's funny we quite often will write kind of you know we'll have things we'll aim for goals for for rehab I don't know if we've ever written a, a goal around you know recognizing the people that you dislike <laughs> in, in, the, in the public eye Aye. but you know it's meaningful for the person and <laughs> um, you were you were kind of mentioning about you know obviously there were times that were that were challenges um, I I were there things that you found yourself that kind of helped you through? Obviously, you know, you're talking about your family were a great support, but were there things that you did for yourself? Um,
2: Well, once things had settled down, uh, exercise has always been something that I've sort of uh, enjoyed to, to help me relax. So um, I, that's always my sort of go-to thing, just even getting out for a half-hour run or going to a class or... Um, I do judo as well, so I eventually get back to judo, and that was that was really good because I I did feel like at the start um, I just thought oh this is going to be terrible and Dennis is going to be really disabled and he won't be able to work and I won't be able to leave the house and I did feel a bit like oh, I won't get back to the things that I enjoy I'll I'll just never be able to leave Dennis's side kind of thing, so getting back to all that stuff uh, getting out exercising, getting to judo, getting into the gym and doing a, a spin class um, yeah I loved it, really. I really enjoyed it so still to this day well I'm, I've injured my ankle just now so I can't really get out which is a bit of a bummer but I, I like getting out and doing a fair old bit of exercise
0: mm. I think it's really important that, that we've all got our ways to wind down mm. and probably at times when there is a lot of stress going on. It's even more important that we've got ways of, of accessing those. So and I think what, what you said a few minutes ago about feeling that you couldn't leave Dennis uh-huh. on his own for a while, I think that's that's a very common thing that I think both Jan and I hear a lot and, and we can understand that, you know, this massive thing has happened and there is that worry about what if something else goes wrong when I'm yeah. not here. Um I so I think that's that's very understandable and very common to have happen and probably a mark of how Dennis was progressing that you felt that you could start to return to you going out for runs and things um in terms of kind of the the kind of professional support that that you got or that Dennis got the family got um what was that like were you involved a lot in the, the rehab process were there other um kind of for example, caterer support or other kind of means of support that were open to you. You felt you needed to access. No, um,
2: just simply because I come from a large family, uh, mm. and so I, I just had had all that. And then I've got close friends that um, that sort of thing. So I felt like I was getting that. Maybe, maybe had I been still been down in London, kind of on my own, I, I might have had to access something like that but I I think I I got the feeling that I was I was all right and I had good loads of good people around me so Mm -hmm. um,
0: fortunately I didn't I didn't really need to access anything like that and in terms of um, like we've mentioned Lynn um, and did Dennis have other um, input from other AHP, so allied health professionals through his rehab as well. Did he have occupational therapy, physiotherapy, maybe? Yeah.
2: So we had a uh, physiotherapy, occupational therapy, clinical psychology, speech therapy. I think that's them all. I don't think I've missed okay.
0: anyone. Did they and in- kind of include you in the rehab process? So, I think yeah. Usually, I would sit when when they first when
2: each person came in, I would. Uh, they would just explain with me what and Dennis, you know, what the their role was and what they would hope to do. And then it was sometimes weekly, sometimes fortnightly sessions, and I would I would just leave Dennis to it. Um and then they would maybe leave things to do that, that I could help him with. Um but he he really enjoyed um all his therapy, I have to say. Uh, and it was quite one of the things I always think back on and, and I'm so glad that my brother uh, Robert and Era and I had a cousin that worked in London, he's a doctor, he was able to come and visit Dennis as well I was so glad that they were able to see what he was like down in London because see by the time he got back up um, I could almost see people looking at me as if like, I thought he was like, like he looked so well and it was almost unbelievable to think Even three, four weeks ago, he was on a ventilator within an inch of his life. Um, Then when he was sort of in high dependency, I can remember sitting, he was sleeping quite a lot. So I was just sort of sitting at his bed on the phone and I, I was a bit bored. So I was going through my banking app and one of the things that came up was Dennis's gym membership. So I was like, well, I'm canceling that because there's no chance he's getting anywhere near a gym like ever i just like he couldn't even he could barely talk someone had to help i had to help him with the the toilet his mobility was terrible he was very weak he was still on an ng and i just thought there's absolutely not a chance that you're getting anywhere near a gym like ever yet like three four weeks later maybe um the first thing that Karen said, that the physio said, was, is he a gym member? Because we we'll want to get him into the gym and at the treadmill. So I had to, I cancelled his gym membership. <laughs> and I was like, I can't believe, I can't actually believe I'm having to go to the gym and ask, you know, get him back into the gym. Because I just thought, there's no way, there's absolutely no way. But I mean, what a difference, like, three weeks later uh, makes you don't, you just can't see it when you see someone who's so so desperately, desperately ill. Um, you can't imagine that uh, if someone had told me that, I'd have just been like, nah, nah, away you go. There's, I would have bet my life on it, no chance, but there, there you go. He was out, mm. uh, he was on treadmills and doing weights in the gym, which is like, like more than miraculous, like unbelievable. Mm.
1: And you, you are sharing so much information with us. I really, really appreciate it. One of the things that we often hear about for a person who's had a brain injury is a personality mm-hmm. change. Um, I'd be interested to hear if you think that's happened for Dennis, but also it's starting to become apparent that. People that support people with brain injuries also experience a personality change. Do you? How about? So, what do you think? You and Dennis, do you feel like either of you have had a change in your personalities?
2: Yeah, we actually d- discussed this a wee bit before uh, I was doing this podcast, and I think for both of us, um, it's a when something sort of really big and uh, horrific happens like that. And then you, you thankfully come out the other end. You you do look at life differently. Um, you don't sort of sweat the small stuff if you like and you know, you learn you just think, do you know what, that happened, so I'm not gonna get upset that someone spilt something on the carpet or get get stressed about things, you do definitely appreciate um appreciate a lot more uh, that I mean our life before this accident was, was fine and things were going fine. Uh, everyone was happy. But after it, actually, you look back and you think, why did I stress about that thing, maybe? Or why did I do this? Or why did I do that? And you do, I think we've both sort of slowed down a bit and we just were a bit more chilled, if you like. But as I say, and, you know, previously, it's not as if we were super stressed or anxious or anything but um yeah you definitely just think like well uh, let's just you know you do I mean you do go on with life and you know the business of life and everything but you you've got this thing and, and it's funny obviously you wouldn't wish that in your worst enemy and it's not something I think oh well, I'm glad that happened but actually there is some good things to have come out of it you do appreciate each other more and you you really do appreciate things like like really appreciate being able to go out for a run and really appreciate we're all you know take the dog out a walk and stuff like that because when when you first hear that someone's had a, a traumatic brain injury a brain hemorrhage and stuff like that the first thing you think of is that's not good that is really not good and and sadly, I've 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 I know people that have since had uh, brain hemorrhages and, and not survived. So you really just do think, um, you know, uh, thank God kind of thing. And and we're, we're fine and we're here. And um, you really do, as I say, appreciate everything. And, and you think back on the help that people gave you and stuff like that, and it's so humbling and stuff. So. Yeah, it's uh hasn't changed their personalities. Is we're still Anne and Dennis and the kids are still the kids and the dog's still the dog and but we definitely are more just like chill. <laughs> That's mm. what I would say.
1: Silver linings to your very dark cloud. Aye, mm.
0: mm. yeah, definitely. Uh-huh. Uh huh. And how are things now? And you know, a few years on from Dennis's industry. How's he doing? How are you doing? Uh oh, yeah, we're both fine um
2: Dennis is back at work and again at the start I ju- I just couldn't couldn't see that he he's had a lot of support. his uh, work have been like phenomenal Um I could his colleagues like um you know even at the very start uh, his colleague Gordon Martin would, you know, after, I think he was only home about a week in, in Gordon, which he didn't have to do. He, he took time out and he was like, I'll come and pick Dennis up and I'll take him into the office and we'll just sit and have a cup of tea and everyone wants to see him. And and I just, I was just like, oh right, okay, I was a bit anxious actually that he was going somewhere without me. But um things like that really really bring him on. Uh, and He's come on leaps and bounds and as I said before, I don't think he'd be able to tell. There's some slight things that, that i notice like he'll maybe spell something wrong or occasionally does have difficulty finding the right word but he knows you know the work he did with speech therapy and, and stuff you know he, know he knows how to circumnavigate about that to so that you wouldn't really notice it uh, kind of thing but yeah he's 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 fine and uh, yeah we're so grateful that that he is fine
0: it's uh, yeah, um. So and it's been fantastic to chat with you and hear just how far Dennis has come, and also just to kind of hear about kind of your journey as well, um. Because you know the the brain injury happens to that one individual, but the the impact on everyone around them it can't be underestimated, and mm-hmm. I think it shows a real kind of um strength in you that you know I'm sure you you were probably you know as you said you're just like well what what else was I going to do of course I did the things I did but um you know it's it's a real kind of make or break situation that you find yourself in and and yeah. you know I have to say I'm sure Jan will agree that you know you, you are amazing for having got through that and done all that you all that you did um and thank you so much for sharing your experience uh, it's it is great to hear that things are, are going well um but it's you know just goes to show how far people can come from such a traumatic experience and you've been really brave in sharing that experience with us and allowing us to to kind of record that and put that out there so thank you so much
1: hi it's jan Thanks for listening to the episode. And again, our thanks to Anne and Dennis and their children for letting us hear about their story. There were some really pertinent points for us to take away, wasn't there, Definitely,
0: Jan. I think for me, it was just so clear how important communication is. And I don't mean just from a speech and language therapy point of view. I mean, right from the start with how information is conveyed to loved ones and that we shouldn't assume information has already been given. Uh, I think it's so helpful just to check in with people, ask them what they understand has happened, um, whether that's the patient themselves or their family members, ask what information they've been given so far. Um, I know I've been guilty in the past of assuming that things have been explained to people. Um, I think I maybe thought in the past that that would need to be the, the job of the doctors or the nurses to do the explaining but um, actually that's not always the case and I think ourselves as, as allied health professions have got a role in that as well. Um, so it was really interesting to hear Anne kind of talk about that that lack of information and, and kind of the drip feeding of information that she got. What about you Jan, <laughs> what did you take away
1: from what Anne had said? Uh, pretty much the same thing Helen, um, Anne's story caused me to th- to remember the message that lynn grayson shared with us in episode two that families need information throughout the journey Um, family members friends and even the person with a brain injury may not hear what you're saying from you know when you're trying to explain things to them due to many issues such as stress that's going on in their lives you know what it's like when you're a bit emotional you may not actually hear the message clearly so i think like you're saying take time to check in and and sign post people to information that they can they can access throughout their journey
0: and i think we'll, we'll mention because i'm sure um sharp-eared listeners will have heard lynn grayson's name mentioned by Anne, and it is one and the same, uh, Lynn Grayson, who was the speech and language therapist working with Anne and, and Dennis. Um, if this episode has piqued your interest in family experience and you want to delve a little bit further into it, we'd really recommend reading a book that is um, by Joe Clark Wilson and Mark Holloway. It's called Family Experience of Brain Injury, Surviving, Coping and Adjusting. and We'll put a link to that in the show notes. Thanks for listening. We'll be back next month with another episode. Bye for now. Bye.